please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Hello, good morning. It's time for your weekly morning espresso. It's Wednesday, the 9th of September. As usual, we have simultaneous translations. All you need to do is click on the button below and you will have various options there. Feel free to send your questions also via the button below or via the email address, which is nordiafunds at nordia.com. Well, this morning, as usual, we have a, a macro update and I have Dr. Sebastian Garley, who is our senior macro strategist on the line. Good morning, Sebastian. Good morning. Hi. So it's been a pretty bumpy ride um, of late. So um, I was wondering if you could perhaps tell us from your view, what are the probable scenarios now that we're likely to see moving forward? Sure. I mean, the probable scenario is either that the correction intensifies, which we view as a 20% probability, or a buy the dip, which is a 80%. So, of course, the probability are themselves imprecise. Why should you be worried about an intensification? It's one, because the fear valuation is justified in some cases, not all cases. NASDAQ, what we call forward P ratio is around 29, which is somewhat elevated, but not extremely elevated compared to the internet bubble because the market still requires you to generate some kind of income or some kind of earnings. But of course, the real story behind that is earnings expectations in a year's times are far uh, ahead of, uh, of reality and the odds are that they won't be met. So it is an expensive market in the growth market, but the concept of valuation is a very complicated story. It's not just Ford P, which is looking one year beyond. Uh, it's something like five, 10, 20 years. Will you be successful? Will you become an Amazon? Or the likes. And what we have is a belief in the primacy, primacy of a few internet giants like Amazon. In some cases, it makes a lot of sense. Amazon is very difficult uh, to move, but Netflix actually might. Uh, it's not that difficult to try to beat it. Second element is all these second tier and third tier stocks, which are growing and rising uh, with the bigger one. They're being trailed with it. This tide is taking all of them. And in some cases might make no sense whatsoever, but in others are completely sensical move, particularly within the ESG style. The last element of a correction is of course risk management, which is very important. If you have a lot of momentum in a stock and then it starts to tank, volatility explodes, people reduce their positions and it has an impact on growth and multiple assets. And as far as we can see, Volatility has been elevated, but it's not creating a correction across a broad set of assets. So for us, this means mostly to buy the dip. We say that from a purely tactical point of view because we expect that in this, this month or, or in the next month, we will see a, a much more considerable consolidation in the, the market. And to us, it suggests a lot of risk management. That means selling as a thing as a growth rallies. So I think you've, you've just touched on it there, um, you know, how investors perhaps should react in this continued consolidation within the growth stocks. 
Yeah, and the, the, the way to, to view it is that you, you want to hold things which are flexible, which adapt very quickly in terms of asset allocation, and are therefore uh, quite attractive. Why? Because it's very difficult to figure out when this thing is going to consolidate in a much more sizable fashion. Then the underlying question, which we've pointed to in the past, is that for this to really die, its inflation needs to pick up very significantly, and the Fed needs to make a mistake either by tightening too early or too late. And that's probably a story for 2022, 2023. So we, we will have elements of strong carry trades with significant corrections um, and an environment which remains supportive until it doesn't. And then uh, it becomes a, a completely different issue, but that's not the issue uh, for next year. It's probably for the following year. So I have another question for you, that one that's very close to my heart, being a Brit. Um, I just wonder what your feelings are on the no deal Brexit. Do you think that's something that's likely to happen? I think it's quite likely to happen. And the reason behind it is that the prime minister doesn't want to confront his own base on the right and particularly on the hard right. And to do so, um, it basically would mean, for example, in the case of fisheries, that it would uh, give away the great advantage that uh, the UK has in terms of, uh, of its uh, seas, which are, are better for fishing. Uh, and that would go down very, very badly for, with his base. What he's more keen on doing is either forcing a deal which is uh, in, to his advantage or within two to three years doing another deal after the UK sees the pain of not participating in uh, the European Union. So it is a, a very decent probability. What does it matter for the UK? It means potential growth is lower. Why? In large part because immigrants, very productive, used to come to London in great numbers and help the UK economy to grow. That kept the economy less inflationary than it is. So it has a tendency to be quite inflationary. Um, and, and that, of course, is unhelpful for growth. But it's a shock of two to three years. Is not a massive shock like COVID, but a significant one, which uh, stays year after year after year, two to three years down the road. Quite unhelpful from a UK point of view, unhelpful for German exports, unhelpful, of course, for Belgium as well as France. I almost wish I hadn't asked now. <laughs> More fun and games. All right. Um, let's look at the summary slide then for this morning. So, um, first of all, uh, we expect an overshoot in the growth stocks um, this month and next, and uh, perhaps an opportunity to buy on the dip, but very carefully. I think so, and that's a crucial message is things all move together uh, in a carry trade, but once they correct, they don't necessarily all come back together. So. Uh, portfolio analysis uh, of uh, names, industries, um, business trends, economic trends are very important. It's easy to run a carry trade. It's much more difficult when the environment becomes more complex. Exactly. And then the no deal Brexit looking more and more likely at this stage. Um, this will have implications on the UK, um, but hopefully it will mean that uh, at some point there'll be a renegotiation, but in the meantime, perhaps uh, a shock for the economy. Yes, and all I have to say is that uh, Marlebone Road and Hampstead Heath and all that stuff in London is very, very nice. It's a strange thing that the capital of Europe is based in the UK, which is leaving, but that's how it is. <laughs> we'll still be there, don't worry. <laughs> all right, well, thank you very much for your time this morning, Sebastian, and look forward to talking to you next week. Um, 
now we move on to the second part of the Morning Espresso, where I'm joined by my second doctor of the morning, uh, Dr. Klaus Vorm, who is a member of our multi-asset team in Copenhagen and is also the co-portfolio manager of the Global Stable Equity Strategy. So good morning, Klaus. Good morning. Good morning, Paul. Hey. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, and you? Yeah, I'm good as well, thank you. So, um, Klaus, you're a trained actuary, and um, in fact, you, you met Asbjorn Troller Hansen, who's head of the multi-asset team, uh, prior to joining Nordea. So I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit about that. No, it's, it's, it's true, I've known Asbjorn for a long time, and we actually shared an office back in the 90s when we did our PhDs. Um, and actually, back then, we had an ambition to, to join forces at some point of time. And, and that opportunity arrived in, in 2004. Uh, Ashburn was coming back from London, and I was working at McKinsey back then. And then Nordea needed some people to, to start the multi-asset team. And that was actually an opportunity for us to, to work together again and uh, take over the responsibility for, for the balance funds within Nordea. Uh, it was actually also back then in 2004 and five when we started the multi-asset team that we wanted to invent some of the new alternative risk premium, one of them being the, the low risk as we are talking about today. Okay, Klaus, so I'm going to go straight in with probably the toughest question um, because we've seen that defensive and sort of low volatility equities have been lagging over the past couple of years, while in the meantime, you know, growth and momentum has, has really outperformed. Uh, big time. So that means that we haven't seen the kind of protection that we would perhaps expect uh, in this portfolio during, particularly during this sell-off. I just wondered if you could give us an insight into why this is. Yes, Paul, it's it's completely true that, especially this year, I think the lacking protection in the sell-off has been a disappointment to, to a lot of the investors into the low vol space. I think if you're looking Back historically at performance, the low risk factor is typically providing protection when the market is weak. So if you're in a big sell-off like the global financial crisis, then you'll expect the low risk factor to, to add relative performance. And if you're in a strong growth recovery rally, like after the US election, you'll expect it to be lacking somewhat. So I think that the lacking performance in the growth periods is, is more expected. But I think when you then have such a significant sell-off that we have seen year to date, or in, in the corona sell-off, I think we then clearly expect some kind of protection from a low risk equity process. But this has not been the case if you're looking at, I think you have the graph there with year to date performance. And, yeah. and there we clearly see that, that even the market is now up um, around 5%, we still have the minimal volatility being down. Uh, and, and this is of course also looking at the specific Corona sell-off period where the market was down more than 30% in local currency, I think that that there the amount of protection added from the mean vol was, was not significant. However, I think there are some good, good reasons for that. Um, if you're looking into the nature of the sell-off, because it, it, it's not really been a classical demand-driven sell-off where we have seen the demand disappearing in the market and, and therefore earnings rolling over. Uh, it has actually been more the possibility to, to supply the goods and services that has been the problem. So actually, in this environment, there's been a, been a split between the companies that have still been able to supply the goods and services, uh, despite people staying at home, uh, and then 
you actually have some that have been forced to close down and therefore not been able to supply the goods and services despite there actually might still have been a demand if people were allowed to. Um, and therefore you have these big deviations between performance and, and you have had these themes also being built that you have the staying at home theme represented by companies like Netflix where you actually more or less gain from this environment. And then you have this closed down theme uh, which has more been the cruise ships and those that actually been, been forced to close down their business. So it's been an environment that's not been in a classical um, uh, demand-driven sell-off and, and therefore you have had this a bit unusual also behavior relative to a more classical uh, recession or, or demand-driven sell-off. And then in continuation of, of this, then actually have been a continued growth, growth focus in, in the recovery phase. So especially companies with this combination of the staying at home exposure and, and then growth exposure has actually been extremely strong. Um, and um, yeah, you have a lot of these IT companies that actually uh, been benefiting from, from both uh, the staying at home theme, but also the growth exposure. And, and that's also seen on this slide, you have growth being up 23% year to year. So Klaus, you've now you've addressed that the drawdown, but um, stable equities have also lagged uh, this year uh, on the rebound that we've seen since March. So I, I guess, you know, that market performance has, has really been driven by a couple of stocks while the rest of the market is struggling. So maybe that's something you could just address now. Yeah, true. Um, yeah. yeah, and then in, in, in on top of, of these two themes playing out on, on being staying at home relative to the close down, I think we have had this concentration within the market on some of very big names that has been benefiting from this staying at home theme and also the continued appetite for growth and focus on growth companies. And as an illustration, if you're looking at page two, we can see uh, the stable equity process year to date, end of August and local currency were down around 5.9 and market up 4%. Um, but you didn't see quite a big difference if you're looking at the median return and not the portfolio return. Then in the middle, you have the median return. So a representative return for the portfolio would have been around 5.5 uh, looking at the median, where it's actually minus 8.2 for the market. So here you see this more typical development between the defensive and, and the market if you're looking at the median return. But looking to the right at the biggest companies within the index, you have this, the biggest five names in the index is Amazon, Facebook, Netflix, uh, Microsoft, and Google. And they have actually on average been up 55% and it's now more than 15% of, of the index weighting wise. So this, implication of these very big companies have had so strong performance and, and such a big performance difference to the rest of, of, um, of the market have actually implied this skewness and you can, can see the implication of, of the total portfolio and index return to, to the left. But it's very concentrated and, and very much driven by, by a few companies. Um, um, I think that story is also very, very well known, but uh, um, yeah. And something else as well is, is the risk that's important to point out because, you know, the, the risk with higher PEs is that, you know, you, the companies have to have perfect execution. And Sebastian mentioned it uh, just at the beginning there. It's not just for the next quarter. It's, it's for years and years stretching out well beyond our ability probably to estimate those kind of timelines. So there's, there's, this, <laughs> there's this risk building as well in those names. 
Yeah, and, and it's of course, um, we have a couple of, of company examples of some of them on page four, um, where, where we can see uh, the nature of, of these companies that has been extremely strong. So here it's Amazon, Facebook, and Netflix. And you see this earnings picture for all three of them is this hockey stick. So you have actually companies that are not that mature, uh, don't have a long history of, of stable earnings, but now they start to, to deliver and there's very high expectations for the future. Um, but the very high expectations are also very uncertain to predict actually where are these earnings um, going to be. Um, and the valuation of these type of companies are typically extremely high. So you see P ratios actually is 27 for Facebook, maybe related to some of the regulatory issues, but for Amazon it's, and, and Facebook it's around 60. So you pay extremely high multiples um, for for very high earnings growth or at least expected earnings growth. And why they don't fit into our process or the, uh, the way we define it is that we're looking for companies that has demonstrated a stable earning stream for a long time at more moderate levels. And you're not paying too much for that. So it's not that you have a clear view that you should not invest in Amazon or Facebook or Netflix. It's more that we think on average, these type of companies are now trading at two heights multiples, or you could say that the expectations are too high relative to what we expect that are going to be delivered in the future. So we now think that this growth rally and focus on growth has now actually implied an extremely high valuations and expectations that are way too high compared to what will be delivered if we're looking at the realized earnings going forward. Mm. So, so those are examples of what you don't hold, but um, what makes you feel confident about, about the portfolio as it stands today and, and why should you know, investors consider um, putting money to work in our stable equities right now? Yeah, I, I think if you take a look at page six, then, then um, we, we have had in continuation of this um, difference we have seen between growth and, and value for a long time, has actually now implied a situation where you have all the conditions that needs to exist for the value premium to play out. So, yeah, you have this on, on page five, you have the performance yeah. difference between value and growth. And, and that has been, the cycles are extremely long. Mm. Um, so if you can see value has been out of favor for extremely long time, but you could then ask yourself the question, why is it that, that the value premium exists? Why is it that it should be a good idea to buy things that are relatively cheap relative to things that are relatively expensive? And, the reason for doing that is that um, when things in the market are getting overlooked uh, on glamorous stocks that are out of favor, then they tend to become too cheap. And then at the same time, when the growth stocks are running too fast, there's too much focus for that. People are building up too high expectations. That creates an opportunity to buy some of this boring out of fashion type of stocks. And I think it's exactly that's what we're seeing in the market right now. You see, a environment where the market has been running after the growth stocks for a very long time, the valuation are extremely high. And we think at the same time, there's a pocket of companies within the market that are boring, overlooked, and, and less glamorous at the time being. And this is exactly the pocket where we're looking for, for, for stable equities for our portfolios currently. And why we think they're interesting is illustrated on page six. Looking at page six, we have an illustration of how actually um, the, 
portfolio has been developing in terms of earnings development and dividend payments relative to the market. So there to the, to the left, you have the light blue, that's the earnings development for the portfolio plus dividends relative to the market. And if you're looking at the development from 19 to 21, where you also include the estimates, you actually see continued decent earnings growth for the portfolio, the light blue, where the market is actually slightly negative from 19 to 21. So we're actually in a situation where we think there are some companies that are overlooked because they don't have extremely high growth expectations, but relative to the overall market, they actually continue to deliver this stable earnings growth. But valuation-wise, given that the fundamentals has been good, but the performance has been weak, has implied a valuation gap looking to the right-hand side, where you see the relative earnings shield for the portfolio, so stable equities relative to the market. And you can see that valuation gap is at an extreme now. So we actually think that there is a very good opportunity to harvest the value premium. And we don't think we are sitting with a value trap due to this um, element, quality stability element we have in our portfolio, where we're looking for the stability and the transparency of the earnings and thereby minimize the risk of buying value traps, you could say, where you don't get the earnings. So we actually think there's transparency and stability on the earnings side supported with a very attractive valuation um, coming after a period where we have seen, uh, you could say, the situation for the value premium to unwind being um, extremely attractive. Yeah, you mentioned value a few times because you're not actually value investors per se, are you? I mean, the, the portfolio, the kind of companies that you have in the portfolio do tend to fall into that sort of bucket. And if you look on, on Morningstar, I think you're in the large cap value space. Um, you know, one very famous uh, value investor is, is Warren Buffett, who's just turned 90 at the, at the end of August. Uh, and uh, he seems to be struggling to, to deploy capital right now. I just wondered if you are struggling to find names as well. No, I don't, I don't think we are struggling to find names um, currently, but I think it's very important when you're looking for value because there's a lot of cheap stuff in the market that is cheap for a reason. So for, in order for value to, um, to work in this environment, I still think it's important to look at the fundamentals and you need to have some kind of quality stability filters or elements embedded in your process. So our process is also not just about buying value. It's actually about finding stable, transparent, quality companies. And then when you have found those, then find the best within that bucket in terms of valuation to so get the best risk return ratio. And when you're looking for valuation under that constraint, then I actually think that the risk of ending up with value trap is less uh, than just buying value. So we think actually there's a, it's a good combination of these two um, where there still is a lot of opportunities to find within the market current. And have you seen a, a shift in the sort of names that you're adding to the portfolio over, over recent years? Yeah, I think mean, one, one of the biggest differences probably compared to when we started 15 years ago is, is actually the IT sector. Uh, because when we started in 2005 and looking at historical um, Earning stability, you actually went through the IT bubble and there was a lot of less mature companies with um, less mature business model. But here, 15 years later, you actually have a lot of these IT companies that has matured, uh, but it's not the Amazon, it's not the flesh Netflix. It's more the, you could call them a bit more boring, moderate growth. So it's the Oracle, it's the Cisco, uh, the IBM. So it's a bit more mature 
uh, lower growth, maybe higher dividend type of companies that we are finding within the IT space. But but the IT is clearly a sector that has that has been through a transition over the 15 years we've been running the call. And, and you mentioned you've been doing this for, for a very long time. Um, is there anything in the investment process that you've changed um, over the years? I think we continue to um, broaden our toolbox and, and add various uh, model and elements to that one. But I think that the base characteristic in terms of having the conditions on the stability, we have not moved away from that one because you think that's, we also selling a product that needs to have some specific characteristics. And of course we have been hurt performance wise this year because there have been so much focus on growth, but when people have been buying into this one, they're buying into an investment style that we need to be aligned with. So people know what, what they also should expect from the product. And I think despite adding less protection in this sell-off, and we typically do in, in a set of, I still think there are good reasons for, for that in this environment. And when we are getting into a more recessionary uh, earnings related sell off, uh, where it's more the demand and the earnings that is rolling over, I'm still confident that we'll add protection in such an environment. So the, perhaps the last question is the million dollar question, uh, perhaps a, a difficult one to answer, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Uh, what do you think is gonna change in the market to flip this round because you know you've shown this big gap opening up and historically we've seen that happen before and then it's closed in again what's what's got going to change and you know what's going to happen in the market to to bring valuations back together yeah that's of course extremely difficult to, to predict <laughs> that development uh, but um it, it's clearly something happening in the market where there is it could either be some of the growth companies coming out with, with weak earning numbers or a weak news flow that could start a momentum in the opposite direction. There could be some profit taking. Uh, but in general, I mean, negative news flow, it could also be something related to the, to the US election. It could also be the vaccine coming out. So I think it could be various catalysts starting that development. Uh, but it could also go, uh, of course, there's no limit to how, how big that valuation spread can, can, can be. So there's not... Uh, it's not a limit on that one. You can say, okay, when we reach that point, then you'll start to see a reversion. But anyway, if you're looking at the long-term opportunities within, um, within for the portfolio relative to the market, we think that looks very attractive. And then uh, it could be various catalysts for the turnaround, but it's, as you were also indicating, it's extremely difficult to predict, but some kind of negative news flow is clearly something that could, could start the, 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 uh, the return in the opposite direction. Yeah. Well, personally, I'm a strong believer in uh, return to mean. So uh, let's see. It could be uh, when we look back on this, that this is a good time to to uh, put some money to work in this space. Um, thank you very much. We've got uh, a summary slide now, if we just quickly go to that. So um, again, Klaus, if there's anything you want to add as I go through this, but um, as we've seen, defensive equities have, have underperformed uh, this year, and uh, this is kind of a unique situation that we find ourselves in um, with momentum stocks you know, dominating the markets. And we were joking a few weeks ago, it's not the S&P 500, it's the S&P 5 these days. Um, but there are attractive opportunities uh, in the defensive equity names um, for long-term investors and um, potentially this could be an interesting entry point. 
and just to reiterate that you know we do have a very long very robust process in place um you know, you've been running this portfolio uh, for, for many years now and um you know this this com combination of low risk and, and value um gives us actually a, a lot of comfort um in the equity segment right now anything to add to that klaus before we uh, we end today's call yeah, maybe just to re repeat, I think it's still interesting in terms of why is it that the value premium exists? It exists because stocks are getting overlooked, uh, they're getting out of favor. At the same time, you see stocks where expectations are building too high, you're paying too much for that. And I think it's exactly when we're looking at the portfolio, what we think has happened. We think we're sitting with stocks where you actually still have a fundamentally good development, but you don't getting getting the credit for that performance-wise. And at the same time, the market just continues to pay more and more for the growth stocks and building up expectations for those. And we think that's exactly the environment that creates an opportunity for the value premium to unwind. And at the same time, of course, there are value traps out there. You need to be careful, but the quality, stability elements in our process helping to avoid that. And therefore, we think we're actually sitting with, with a portfolio right now that, that has an, an extremely attractive risk return ratio. And also internally within the multi-asset team, we have a high conviction on this and it's something that this low risk premium, you could say that we play with a very high conviction in, in various balanced funds and offerings that we're having within multi-assets. And on that note, I think we'll call it a day. Thank you very much for your time today, Klaus. Um, and, and obviously it's important to explain these things, uh, particularly now when we're going through a, a tougher phase in the market um, I think it's great that you come on and, and explain what's going on so thank you very much for your time today um, next week I will be uh, talking climate transition and ESG with Henning Padberg and Michaela Zirofa um, uh, in the meantime if you want to go and look at previous recordings, then don't forget to visit our Stay Alert microsite, which is you'll find at nordia.lu. And you'll also find their Q&As and podcasts, so plenty to keep you busy there. That's it for this week. I'll see you next Wednesday.